guys, welcome back to Revive School. <laughs> Just started laughing because today's lesson 45. I automatically thought of Michael Jordan's old basketball number and also his baseball number. So Kevin, little things excite me, except 43. We, we couldn't come up with anything for 43, could we? Counting down. Oh yeah, 43. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's right. All right, so here we are. Final chapter. It's the final. I was going to start singing. Second Corinthians 13. Kevin, what is our one word that we have for the entire epistle that Paul has written to the Corinthians? Treasure. Treasure. Uh, what was that talk about, Kevin, when we're talking about treasure? Basically, Christ is a treasure inside of us, ready to get out, ready to be exposed. Yeah, and you look at Minnie's painting here. I mean, that's, isn't that true? Through our weaknesses, through our cracks, Christ gets to actually be revealed. And that's really all of 2 Corinthians. And it's interesting to me, <laughs> when you talk about 2 Corinthians, and here's what I want to do. I want to just, I'm going to, it might take a little while, but I want to do this again. Because I feel like we talked about it at the very beginning of 2 Corinthians, and I wanted to do it at the end. Is I wanted to walk through Paul's interactions with the Corinthians. So, Kevin, if you can go to that map that we have, I think that would be really helpful of, of the interaction that we have. Now, now think about this. It says, first of all, okay, I, I just want to give you a big picture of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The founding of the church of Corinth, okay? Does anybody, uh, uh, where, where that started, Kevin? Uh, Acts 18. Acts 18, yeah. Founding, wow, Kevin, it's working. Our reading is working. Praise the Lord. So the founding of the church is roughly 80, 50 to 52. And this took place on what we would consider uh, the second missionary journey. Okay, now I know we have a map here of the third missionary journey, but the establishment, you guys, remember this, of Corinth was established on the second missionary journey. And he was there for how long, Kevin? 18 months. 18 months. Good job. You read it right there. Well done, Kevin. And so here you have the founding of the church is found in Acts 18. Now, obvious statement, he's not writing to the Corinthians right now. You know what he's doing? He's just doing ministry. So I think that's really important because here's what I think a lot of people like to do. Teachers, missionaries, they want to just speak into people's lives, but they don't want to actually do the ministry. 18 months, Paul stayed there teaching the word of God amongst them. Like he was in the trenches with the Corinthians. Okay. Now in this process, what you have is, is that he wrote what's considered the lost letter. If you go to 1 Corinthians 5, 9, 1 Corinthians 5, 9, it just says this. It says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So Paul hangs out with the Corinthians first time. Okay, in this process, he wrote a letter. And he said, hey, look, guys, we know this whole area is a hotbed for idolatry, immorality, and specifically he even identifies the sexual immoral people. And he says, guys, don't hang out with them. So Paul's first form of communication that we know of is what we'd consider the lost letter. Now, what you're going to see is his continual communication with the Corinthians is 1 Corinthians is written. Okay? 1 Corinthians is written roughly in AD 55. So, Kevin, again, to go back to this, anywhere from, I mean, two to five years, really, uh, two to five years, somewhere in there of him leaving the Corinthians, he started, he decided to speak into him. So he's obviously had some form of communication and he's written, he's writing this, okay, if you're Kevin, you'll go to 1 Corinthians 16, 8. He's writing this from Ephesus. And he's on his third missionary journey, okay? So here you have Ephesus right here. So Paul is hanging out here on his third missionary journey. Now you'll see this long journey that he has here, okay? 
in this journey, he hasn't even got there. He decides to write while in Ephesus and he begins to write to the Corinthians. Okay, now on his third missionary journey, uh, and that can also be labeled as Acts 19. Now, to give us something to you in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 1. So now we're going to get into the 2 Corinthians that we've been talking about. But again, I just want you to have a big picture. Paul loves the Corinthian church. In one of those times, they have what's called, and we've talked about this, the painful visit. 2 Corinthians 1, 2 verse 1. And he says, in, that fa- in fact, I made up my mind about this. I would come to you on another painful visit. In other words, somewhere in there, you guys, I came and I ministered to you and it didn't go so well. You guys didn't respect me. You didn't stand up for me. I didn't feel valued. It was truly a painful visit. But again, all of these are contacts with the Corinthians. Okay, as it continues on, he had a painful visit. So because of the painful visit, he has what we would call the severe letter. Okay, Kevin, if you go to 2 Corinthians 2, 3. So not much farther after this painful visit, he says, I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy. Because I'm confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. So Kevin, is it true because of his painful visit, he had to write something? And he wrote something that it probably wasn't the nicest. So we have a lost letter. We have 1 Corinthians, right? Then you have what we would consider a severe letter. Now, after the severe letter, okay, and the severe letter, just so you guys know, is written from Ephesus as well. Okay, and you can find that specifically in 2 Corinthians 7. Is then after that, he then goes to actually writing 2 Corinthians. So sometimes when you read the writings of Paul, you're kind of like, "Cow, this guy is really forward. (laughs) He's really lighting into these guys. Well, the reality is, is you guys, this is this is what we see. But look at all the other interactions that he's had. You know, it's kind of like when you write a text or you write emails, maybe one out of the hundred that are highlighted to one person. But it doesn't negate the fact that you've been constantly communicating. So 2 Corinthians, and just so you know where he's writing 2 Corinthians, he is writing from the area called Macedonia, roughly AD 55 through 56. So now here we are on our third missionary journey. So in this area, right, of Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, that most of you guys would have heard about, he is now somewhere in here writing to the Corinth, which is known as 2 Corinthians. So when he's addressing the false apostles, the false teachers, again, I think we have this understanding like, God, he's just hard. It's because he loves them and he cares for them and he's been doing ministry with them. So here you have the founding of the church, the lost letter, 1 Corinthians. He does a painful visit. Then there's a severe letter and then there's the 2 Corinthians. So maybe, again, not everybody agrees with this. Okay, so I'm just pointing out possibly the illustration, maybe up to four letters. Four letters that Paul has has shared. And then finally, the last one, okay, is in 2 Corinthians, which we didn't really get to yesterday. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14. Paul is longing, you guys. He's on his third missionary journey for another visit. So he's written this out and he says, now I'm ready to come to you this third time. I will not burden you from not seeking what is yours, but you for children are not obligated to save up for the parents, but parents for the children. In other words, he is planning on coming 
again. And so where do we get that from? Well, we get that from Acts 20, verses 1 through 4, and then something we just referenced, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14. All right, so these are the contexts that Paul has with the Corinthians. Let's begin to unpack, really it's two simple truths, okay? And I like what Wearsby says, is uh, verses 1 through 8, what does Paul do? He, he warned them. Okay, this is what he does in the first eight verses. Now it says this, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Okay, now everybody would agree this is the third time. There's not a, a question on what he's talking about. But then when you get into this, it says every fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Okay, some would say this wasn't a reference to Paul's three visits to Corinth. Some would say since he could only be one witness, no matter how many visits that he had. So what I want to do is I want to give you four views. That's one of them. I want to give you four views that people interpret verse one. He says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. I guess when I look at that, that kind of looks like, look at our timeline. Doesn't that look like it would be his third visit? Kind of looks like that. But let me give you a couple options, okay? Tom Constable gives us this meaning specifically to the testimony of two or three witnesses. Like, what does that mean? Every fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Well, a couple things would be this. One is that the church would pass judgment and based on the testimony of witnesses that Christ prescribed should decide who was right. So it's the Matthew 18, 15 through 20. If you'll go there, Kevin, I think this is important to understand. So as Paul's coming into these communities, let's just say it is every third time, every time. And then as he's saying these things, then the witnesses are then affirming what he's saying. So 15 through 20 says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him. In private, if he listens to you, you've won your brother. Verse 16, but if he won't listen, take one or two more with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. I mean, this sure sounds like what he's talking about. Verse 17, if he pays no attention to them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. Verse 18, I assure you, whatever you bind on earth, uh, I'll just keep reading, is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Here, here's the point. I, I think this would affirm as Paul comes into these cities, what he's saying based on one option is, is that these people then have to agree with what he's saying. Two or three witnesses. Would you agree, Kevin? That's correct. That's one option. There's another viewpoint of this. What does that mean? Paul maybe I'm again, I'm giving you options here. Paul may have viewed his three visits as three witnesses to his innocence. Another interesting viewpoint. Number three, he may have been referring to his warnings that he would not spare the Corinthians. Possibly. Number four, may he meant that the witnesses of his fellow workers um, when he returned to Corinth, like Titus and the brethren are coming in. Uh, possibly. I think it really goes back to the first one. You got to have two or three witnesses establishing what he's talking about. And then maybe, maybe what if it is Titus and his brothers? Either way, this is the process. As Paul is releasing these things, people are, I believe, affirming what he's saying. In the Old Testament, it's all throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 19.15. This language of integrating witnesses in what you're saying is huge. Deuteronomy 19.15. One witness cannot establish any wrongdoing or sin against a person. Whatever that person has done, a fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. When Paul says this, you guys, he's not quoting Matthew. He's quoting Deuteronomy. 
But I think in our mind, we're like, oh, look, he's talking about Jesus. <laughs> or he's quoting what Moses wrote and said, if you're going to make a claim, make sure it's backed up by two or three people. And look, I've been here three times. This is going to be my third time. This would be my heart behind this. Uh, can you go to 1 Timothy 5:19 for me, please? 1 Timothy 5:19. scripture says this. Don't accept, uh, accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. I mean, this is the this is the bottom line. You address it privately. If it doesn't go well, you integrate people who then say, yes, I'm a witness to this. I would agree. In fact, because if you look in verse two, he says, Kevin, I gave a warning when I was present the second time. And now I'm giving a warning while I'm absent to those who sinned before and to all the rest. If I come again, I will not be lenient. I will not spare what I've already warned you two other times. Like, here's the deal. I'm constantly warning you guys and people are affirming this. I need you to own up. So part of the warning, he just says, prepare yourself. Says in verse three, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me, he's not weak toward you, but powerful among you. I mean, this is crazy. The whole audience, the whole, the false apostles, the false teachers. I like what MacArthur says. They're just seeking proof whether or not Paul was actually a genuine apostle. That's all they're doing. They're trying to back up something. <laughs> it, it's just interesting. They've gotten more than what they bargained for, as one commentator says. Paul's a lot more than what they've asked for. And yet here you have the Judaizers in 2 Corinthians 10. You don't need to go there, but they've accused Paul of being weak. Like that's what they're saying. They're accusing Paul of being weak. But the reality is, is Paul is, is going to use his apostolic authority to deal with sin and rebellion. He's okay in calling them out. He's okay in saying, hey guys, there's a serious issue. And then in this, Christ's power is, and this is a cool picture, even though it looks weak, Christ's power is going to be revealed through Paul. And by rebellion, and this is a very drastic statement, but I would agree with what MacArthur said, by rebelling against Paul, the Corinthians, the Judaizers in that group are rebelling against Christ. If Christ put Paul in that position and then they're not approving of Paul, ultimately they're rebelling against Christ. So in fact, it says in verse four, in fact, he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by God's power. For we also are weak in him, yet towards you we will live with him by God's power. I mean, do you guys see this constant theme? Two days ago when we were talking with Ray Sturdivant, we're talking about the power of God that's inside of us. Why? So that we can fight these things. You know, the treasure that's inside of us. What? So we have extraordinary power inside of us. We're also weak in him, yet toward you we will live with him. And the only way we can do this is by God's power. Paul was able to come to Corinth armed and I like this. What MacArthur says, with irresistible power of the risen, glorified Christ. Philippians 3.10. Kevin, if you'll go there, please. Philippians 3.10. Again, you know, here you have it in Macedonia, you know, all of this. It, it just begins all to blend together, you guys. You know, Paul is writing in here, in, in, you know, in Philippians. He says, my hate, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That verse right there is so much that we could go to. But I want to just focus on, I just, Paul wants to know the power of his resurrection. And in this, you ultimately are saying, I am experiencing the power of God. Because of the cross 
of what Christ did on the cross. Because of that, you can experience in 1 Corinthians 1.18 the power of God. The cross is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. So when you have trust in the treasure of Christ, you can say, I have God's power in us, which allows us to be saved. Paul's just really going straight for it. This is the last part of the letter. And he says in verse 5, okay, here's the deal. And this is, this is where you're like, man, Paul, you kind of went extreme. But he says, test yourself. So he's talking to the Corinthians. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And I love what he says. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? Look. Don't worry about examining me, he says. Basically, as weird as he says, you've got to examine your own faith. Like, quit worrying about me. You have to deal with yourself. Here's what I think is so funny. Paul was their spiritual father of Corinth. That's true. And yet, at the same time, if he was a counterfeit, so was all of their faith. And he's pretty drastic. He says, look, he's like, unless you fail the test, like, you might actually be disqualified. You, you might not actually be approved. You might not actually have faith in Christ. Guys, I don't, I don't know how much more drastic. And he says in verse 6, and I hope you will recognize that we do not fail the test. I hope you realize like that. I hope you realize that you're actually born again or you're not born again. Like this is how drastic he's going. So how, how do you examine yourselves? Kevin, if you'll go back to that verse for me, if you don't mind. When he just says in verse 5, examine yourselves, how, how do you do that? How do you know if like, I don't know, like am I one of those Corinthians that are giving in to the ways of the world? He says, test yourself. You see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Well, here's areas of life that you can examine yourself in. Okay. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to fit them all in, but we'll try. One is just examine yourself in the area of holiness. We're not going to go there because of uh, Psalm Psalm 15, but like, are you walking out the area of, like after you've been justified, are you walking out righteousness and holiness in your life? Another area is just, these are things to, to say, am I showing these areas? Another one would be based on, Kevin, if you'll go to Micah 6, verse 8. Like, do I show justice? Do I show kindness do i show humility okay micah 6 8 to act justly to love faithfulness and to walk humbly with your god do you, do you show these things so when we say examine yourselves like i actually tangibly i love lists like for me i like it because it allows me to actually be like oh yeah i see this i think sometimes when the scripture says examine yourself you kind of need to know well like what am i even looking for well, do I show justice to people? Am I kind? Am I walking in humility? And in Matthew 5, 3 through 12, I mean, man, not even to get all into the list, but the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Keeps on going to verse 4. Blessed are those, says, who mourn. Verse 5, blessed are those who walk in gentleness. Blessed are those in, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 7, are the merciful. Verse 8, talks about the pure in heart. Verse 9, it says the peacemakers. Like, these are the things to examine. Do you see this in your own life? Verse 10 is pretty clear, and we don't like going there, but blessed are those who are persecuted. Uh, these are lists that you can come up with. Uh, another one, number four, that MacArthur explains is uh, in 1 Corinthians, 
Now, I know we're talking about gifts. We've talked about this, but love. Love is patient. Love is kind. So if you're if you, quote unquote, think you have the gifts, are you actually displaying these different things based on love? Galatians five. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I don't know if they're saved. I don't know if I see any fruit in them. Right. I mean, I've heard that. Kevin, have you heard that before? I don't know. I don't, my neighbor says he knows Jesus, but I have no idea. Well, I don't know if my family member is. I've never seen any fruit. <clears throat> so one of the way, the reasons that people might say that would be it's the fruit of the Spirit coming from Galatians 5. Do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Like, <clears throat> do we tangibly see these things? So why am I going through this list? Because the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, look, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. I want you to examine yourselves. Do you see these components in your life? Philippians 4.8. Like, I don't think this was just an examine yourselves. You're going to go sit in a corner and be like, okay. Hmm. <laughs> like, I actually think we need, I think we actually need these components. In Philippians 4, 8, this is what I want you to focus on. Things that are true. Things that are honorable. Things that are just, pure, lovely, commendable. Like, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, I want you to dwell on these things. And so, uh, and one of the ways to examine is, is, are you dwelling on these things? What are these things? These things that we just focused on. I actually love this list because to me, I think it's a real tangible, um, like it's a tangible way to say somebody says, oh yeah, I know the Lord. But like, hey, well, how, how's the fruit of the spirit in your life? They'll be like, what? <laughs> hey, tell me about the, you know, the poor in spirit. How's that working out in your life? What? Now, somebody could say, well, that's just immaturity. Or look, I'm telling you, if you guys are in the faith, you'll, you'll be growing in these areas. Even if it means somebody helping you grow in these areas. If you go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 22, what you see is, is and I'll just, I'm going to just put the basics. You know, here it is. It goes all the way from 14 through 22. Warn those who are lazy, comfort the discouraged, help the weak. They're like, oh, that's me. Well, <laughs> it's not supposed to be the weak. You're supposed to help the weak. Be patient with everybody. It keeps going into verse 15 uh, and on and on and on. Okay, and then it gets into Second uh, Peter one through five. You're going to talk about the qualities of walking with the Lord. Then you're going to see fe- uh, features of truth, obedience, and love in First John. And then finally, there's the pattern of revelation. If you go to one three, if you don't mind, Kevin, this is the last one. Those who read this is blessed and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. Are we obedient to the things that we're reading? Examine yourselves. And no, nobody likes an examination. But like nobody really likes going in for the 50-year-old checkup. Whoa! <laughs> ah, like nobody likes that kind of stuff. Why? Because examinations hurt. I mean, that's the thought process. Nobody likes to get poked or pricked or prodded. Nobody likes that. Unless you're rich, then you like watching yourself get shot. Is that right, Rich? Yeah. No, thanks. I'll pass out. Uh, And here's why I don't think we... I think deep down inside, part of us don't like taking examinations, tests, or quizzes. We're afraid of failure. Like, what if they tell me my health's not good? Or what if they tell me at my science test, I didn't study enough. And I think when you self-examine, you're actually being real with really what you know. Really who you 
are. And that was Paul saying. Paul's like, guys, it's, it's time to be like, look, are, are you in or not? Are you the daughter that I've entrusted over, you know, to the, to the future husband? Like, because you're waiting for the marriage. Like, are you really waiting? Or if we did a test, would we find out you're no longer pure and no longer a virgin? Like, examine yourselves so that you do not fail the test. That's kind of really what he gets into. He says he warned them in verses 1 through 8. He says, prepare yourself. Then he even says, I mean, we've already talked about this. Examine yourselves. And then finally, if you want to, if we can, and it says in verse 8, Kevin, uh, I'm sorry, verse 7. Now we pray to God that you do nothing wrong. So when he says, examine yourselves, can I just tell you, he wants them to pass. Not that we may appear to pass the test, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear to fail. Verse 8, Scripture says, For we are not able to do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. I mean, Paul hasn't violated the truth of the gospel. And he wouldn't have done anything if they were... uh, He wants them to do everything based on the truth. And so here's what he does to close out all of 2 Corinthians. Really, first and second, but really possibly up to four letters, much of his interactions. He's hoping to, to come to them again, but he's speaking into them. First of all, he gives them a warning. But then in verses nine through uh, and on nine through 13, he encouraged them. So he warns them and he encourages them. And he says, uh, in fact, we rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. We also pray that you became, that you become fully mature. Like Paul wants them to succeed. He wants them to be filled. He wants them to be equipped. He wants them to be trained. He wants them to truly, one, one medical term of to be mature says, like he wants this broken bone to adjust. Okay. He wants this to bring about healing. You got to go through the hurt in order to get stronger. It's an interesting, there's another means he wants an outfit. He wants to outfit a ship for voyage. He wants to equip an army for battle. He wants the nets to be mended. He wants everything to be strong. And I'm going to pray that you can do that. I'm going to pray that you would through the word of God. I'm going to pray that through the fellowship of the local church, I'm going to pray that even through suffering, that you would find who you are in Christ. And then he says in verse 10, like, here's the summary. This is why I'm writing these things while absent, that when I'm there, I will not use severity in keeping with the authority the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. I'm writing these things so that when I come on my third visit, you guys are off and running. You're a mature, growing church in a city that's completely confused with their identity. And he says in verses 11 through 13, finally, brothers, rejoice. And then he gives this incredible list of five things, exhortations. Guys, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to combat. I want, I want you to rejoice. I want you to become mature, be encouraged, be of the same mind, be at peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And then he says, in the process, please greet one another with a holy kiss. And all of the saints greet you. And then in verse 13, he paints this picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through basically what he's done on the cross and the love of God through Christ and what he's done on the cross and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May experience the grace from Jesus, the love from God the Son and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Church of Corinth, be encouraged.
Here you have uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. I, I love, I love these two books. I think Mindy's paintings are absolutely incredible and how it all fits together. I would just say, thanks for slowing down and studying these two epistles with me. And my prayer is that you've been greatly encouraged by Christ being the treasure in, in the Corinthian church and in your lives as well. Have a great day and we'll talk to you tomorrow as we study the book of Galatians. Thanks.